Welcome to the Blab Lab, a twice monthly podcast from the reporters of Eco RI News, where we unpack the critical environmental issues facing Southern New England. I'm reporter Colleen Cronin, and today I'm here with Frank Carini, senior columnist and reporter, to talk about per and polyfluoroalkyl substances, aka PFAS, aka forever chemicals. There are a group of about 9,000 chemicals that are found in everything from firefighting foam to floor wax. And they're called forever chemicals because scientists say they do not break down and they stay in your body over time. And that they're linked to serious health effects, including several forms of cancer, fertility issues, and developmental delays in children. They've been in the news a lot lately and the topic of several recent EcoRI articles. So today we're going to talk about why. Hey, Frank, how you doing? I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. I had in the script, insert wisecrack when you spoke. Oh, insert wisecrack or defeatist phrase. I saw that in the, in the outline before that. I, I, want, I, didn't want to, I didn't want to play. I didn't want to uh, play along, <laughs> play into my hands. Yeah, I'd wait till next time. Then I will say something defeatist. I'm sure I'll say something defeatist during this conversation. So, Well, that's okay. It is a tough topic, PFAS. Today, we're probably going to do something a little bit different than usual. Usually, I'm firing off a lot of questions at Frank. But he might also ask me some questions because Frank, Rob, who's not here, and I have actually all written about PFAS recently. I wrote about how Rhode Island has issued three no drinking orders uh, recently because of their most recent round of PFAS testing. Frank, you just wrote a column about their proliferation in our world today. What inspired you to write that? Was it what we've written about in the news recently about them? Your story, partly your story about you know, covering or the testing of the three do not drink orders. Uh, that was part of it. But I find this, besides the burning and flooding of the world caused by the climate crisis and the burning of fossil fuels, this PFAS issue is is major. Like we had major problems with lead, you know, lying about that, cigarettes, DDT, asbestos, plastic even. But PFAS is going to blow all those out of the water in terms of just, we're just flooding the environment and ourselves with nasty chemicals. It's... You would think we would have learned, like I said, from the campaigns about lead and tobacco and secondhand smoke. and But no, we just keep using it and using it and using it until who knows when it stops. So I think it's a major, I wrote a book because I think it's major, a major environmental and human health problem. I wrote my most recent story, which was about following up on um, some legislation that just went into effect July 1st. I had written a story last fall, kind of in preparation for these laws, this law to come into effect, Uh, looking back at what we've encountered so far with PFAS issues. And I spoke to uh, a gentleman in Burville who was affected by the Oakland Village water system contamination. They had really high levels of PFAS in their well in that location, and they had a no-drinking order for a while, and they ended up having to switch over to Harrisville water. The well was downhill from the fire department, which could, although it's hard to prove, have contaminated the well because of firefighting foams, which are one of the biggest sources of PFAS. But I, was, I, f- I wrote that story, and then I sort of had been checking in with the Department of Health ahead of July 1st because most public water systems in the state were mandated to test their systems again. And we knew that some locations had PFAS, but there were three that had higher levels than 70 parts per trillion. And yeah, then, they were way higher. That wasn't, yeah. you know, like one was three something. I don't know my numbers, you might know, but 329, one was like 129, one was 
160 or something. It was, so it was like more than double. It was interesting because though there so there was three, uh, two were the Lad Center, um, and the other was uh, Exeter Job Corps, both sort of in the same complex where the former Lad School was, and then um, the other was Bruins Plastics, and they had higher than seventy parts per trillion, and they had much higher. And then there were eight other locations that don't have a no drinking water order, but tested higher than twenty parts per trillion, which is what the state is now mandating. The interesting thing is that they're not much higher than 20 parts per trillion. So the, but the ones that are above 70 are way above 70. Yeah. Some of the numbers were astronomical in your story there. So there's 11 systems in Rhode Island that have tested above 20? There's 11 systems from this last round of testing that tested above 20. And, And that doesn't mean that there aren't it didn't include every system. It was most public water systems. And also it doesn't include private wells, which what was what's going to happen now is so many people in Rhode Island have private wells, especially in the areas that tested really high. So DEM is sort of in the process of creating kind of a, a, a perimeter around these high testing locations, and they'll be testing some private wells in that area. I think What's interesting about the LAD Center and Exeter Job Corps high numbers is that it's also near an aquifer that is important with the Queens River. It's water, it's traveling, it's moving. Um, These chemicals are not necessarily staying in place. So who knows how many other private systems are affected. And then also just that it could be impacting the river as well um, and other freshwater sources. Yeah, in the animals that live in it. And the funny thing is, too, people will just go, I'll just buy a bottle of water. Well, I hate to tell you, public water systems are better regulated than systems that are filling up those water bottles you're drinking. So it's, it's bad. Some of the acronyms, I don't remember, like PHOS or whatever, the EPA has come out with these health advisories. It's nothing's mandated, but like one of them, it's like you can't have, if it's more than 0.04 parts per trillion, that's bad. Or zero point zero two for another one, PF, PHOA, or something. I can't remember all the acronyms, but there's, there's a couple so of so many acronyms. And those like a two of the two of the bad ones, which some of them we don't make anymore. But at least in the United States are not manufactured, but they are overseas and they come in on textiles and Sometimes rubbers and plastic and stuff. I've written. I also wrote about um, the Waterkeepers Association, or excuse me, the Waterkeepers Alliance. Um, they did testing across the country and saved the bay, all of their, they have keepers, basically. They've got a bay keeper and a South Coast keeper. And they tested freshwater sources in Rhode Island and found that several had PFAS contamination. And I spoke to an expert at URI and he was kind of taking a look because the report was really comprehensive and it broke down exactly which PFAS were impacted, which is also interesting. So if you look at, to swing it back to the Rhode Island Department of Health, testing. Um, You can go on their website and they have it all listed. It's actually an average of two test samples and it's also a culmination of several types of PFAS that they're testing. So it's not like that's one chemical, that's the culmination of lots of different chemicals that are in the water and it's the average of two samples because PFAS testing is pretty difficult because there's PFAS and everything. If you use the wrong pen, if you're wearing a waterproof jacket of a certain kind, you can end up contaminating your samples with PFAS. So you have to take a confirmation sample. Um, But to bring it back to the Waterkeepers Alliance, um, they had a really detailed report where they actually showed exactly which types of PFAS were tested for 
and found in the different places. And when I spoke to Rainier Lohman at URI about it, he said what was kind of interesting was that you could see that there were chemicals that are banned now in the United States that were still being found in these environments decades later. And what keeps happening is that the U.S. will ban a certain type of PFAS, PFAS that you are no longer supposed to manufacture, but then companies like 3M will make sort of change the chain, chemical chains in it to make it similar but different. And so then it's no longer illegal. So we're basically polluting our water, drinking water sources so we could have no stick pans, microwave popcorn because it's so hard to make popcorn on the stovetop. It's just, <laughs> just sanity. Just poison ourselves because for some convenience. I think that the the use that is most obvious, its impact, and perhaps is the most important use of it, though, is in firefighting foams. Again, just to preface, it's very difficult to prove where contamination has come from. It's also very hard to prove that contamination, to link it to like an individual's health impacts. You have to do really intensive studies and investigations to figure out where contamination comes from and and whether or not it's actually impacted people's health. So I'll just preface it with that. But, you know, if you look at Oakland Village, they were downhill from a fire station. Um, if you look at the Lad Center properties that tested high, uh, there's like a explosive like testing type facility that the state has on that property. Um, military sites frequently have PFAS contamination and lots of other types of contamination because of the chemicals that they're using. Um, and then frequently near airports, there's contamination because the FAA requires that you use aqueous fight firefighting foam to douse oil fires. And, 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 and that's a use where it is certainly important and a safety issue. But then it's also in everything else. It's in food packaging. It's in floor wax, which is there was actually a couple of schools that tested. None of them tested above 70 parts per trillion, but several tested 20 parts per trillion, higher than 20 parts per trillion. Um, And when I asked the Department of Health why that was the case, they said it was maybe floor wax. So there's certainly uses that are less important, but and they've made some foams that don't supposedly don't have PFAS in them. Who knows if they just don't have PFAS that are... Tested yet? Tested yet. Been uh, around long enough to... Then, yeah, or, or that we know the health effects of that. But there's still federal regulations that demand the use of them in certain situations. So like when TF Green does their training every year where they set something on fire and they, you know, because knock on wood, there's never been a real emergency where they've needed to use um, the PFAS included firefighting foam. They'll use an alternative. But if there was an emergency, they told me, because I, I had asked them about it for a different story, that they would have to use the, the stuff, the PFAS stuff. And maybe if I was in that plane, I would want them to use the PFAS stuff. Just like We just like jamming toxic chemicals into everything so we can satisfy profits for the chemical industry. Just dump it on the world, dump it on the public, and then we'll hope nothing bad happens. So we make a huge profit, and then we'll finally say, oh, yeah, yeah that's bad for you. Why do you think that history keeps repeating itself with this stuff? And, and Money. Simple. Yeah. Money. Money's more important than anything. Short term. We're short term. All we care is about the short term. And how do you feel like PFAS, if it's different at all from smoking or 
DDT or, you know, any of those other kinds of I think of it's shelters. worse. What do you mean? I think it's I think it's a bigger problem. I think it's a worse problem. Is that what your question is? I yeah. think it's... Because it's just pervasive? Yeah. Pervasive? I, yeah. And I think it's going to be, you know, all these other ones bit us in the ass. I think this one's going to kick us repeatedly in the ass, this PFAS problem. We're going to, you know, we've kind of, you know, DDT, we kind of, that was, you know, caused big problems. And obviously it did for birds of prey and stuff. But we got on that pretty quickly. And obviously plastics too is going to be a big problem. But PFAS is just, we're inundated with them everywhere. Do you do anything personally to try to avoid them? Yeah, I try to, you know, it's hard. It's exhausting. I mean, I try to ask if we're getting a takeout, like where'd you get this? Because most of the takeout containers have PFAS or they did. It's hard because no, people in the restaurants might not know. It's not like they're trying to purposely use them, but they don't know. Do you feel like some of the pushback on the regulations is fair just because it is so pervasive and it's hard to eliminate? No, I think we have to be aggressive and get rid of this stuff. We just can't be, oh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a massive problem. So it's going to take a massive effort. If we just say, well, we'll just do a little bit here on the edges, nothing's going to change. Yeah, you caused a massive problem, now it takes a massive solution. Do it. But we won't. We never do for any any issue. The climate crisis, you know, we could have done smaller things so we don't have to do everything all in three years. I mean, we don't. We don't care. Short-term profits matter more than anything. So maybe we should sacrifice a little bit of convenience. So maybe my cook my eggs, they stick to the pan a little bit, so I have to use a little more elbow grease to uh, get rid of it. Or maybe I don't need all these conveniences of life that come at a price, maybe a little inconvenience wouldn't be that bad. And I don't know if this is true or not, but frequently when we've seen other types of hazard dumping or like health impacts from environmental violations, it tends to disproportionately impact communities of color, marginalized communities. Low wealth, yeah, low wealth communities, yeah. Exactly. There's a lot of federal money coming down the pipeline for fixing Systems that have PFAS, there are treatments that you can put on water systems. Also, sometimes you just end up switching to a different water system because that's cheaper. Um, And there is a specific grant out there. I don't think that Rhode Island's had access to it yet, but I think that they're in the process of applying that would um, give access to funds to like disadvantaged communities to fix some of these issues because... I don't know yet, but something that I want to look into more is whether or not these issues are more prevalent in certain communities than others. We've already seen they're definitely more prevalent near military bases, um, near areas where firefighting foam was used. But is there any sort of correlation with income or or any other demographic? Um, I have no doubt you will find that. <laughs> Frank, what is Sadly. You, yeah. What are you following? Like, what what do you, what piece of this puzzle? You talked a little bit about it getting into oceans, but is there, it's because it's so um, pervasive, there's so many different angles to this story. There's groundwater, there's drinking water, there's stuff in food and food packaging, there's clothes, <laughs> there's all sorts of stuff. Is there a certain facet of this that you want to follow more, either in regulation or... Yeah, when are, we, when are we going to really do something about it? That's, that's the only thing that's left. You, European Union does a little bit better job of doing that. They have more rigorous testing. You can't unleash this until we do this and this here. We just unleash it and we'll deal with the consequences later, basically. That's what I'm following. When are we going to actually do something massive that changes the paradigm? I, I'm going to guess I'll die before they 
maybe from cancer from Frank, a PFAS. You're so young, what are you talking about? So it's nothing gonna, so it's nothing's gonna change. I, I hate to say that, I hope they do, but it's gonna take massive solutions and we can't do that for this. We can't do it for the climate change, the climate crisis. Well, we'll still be following it even if no one does do anything about it. So keep following along at ecori.org. Thank you so much, Frank, for being on the podcast. Thank you to our listeners for following along. We want to thank Vanessa Carlton for letting us use her song Willows for our theme song, which you hear at the beginning and end of every episode. We also want to thank Roger Williams University and Professor Bernardo Moda for letting us use their recording studio. Thanks also to Joe, our editor, for editing and mixing the episode. And my wife. And our publisher. If you have any questions, tips, or podcast ideas, email me at colleen at ecori.org. Until next time, you can read more roadie environmental news at our website, ecori.org. What's the over-under on the number of times it takes me to say per and polyfluoroalkyl substances? Did I say it right? I never say it. <laughs>